Good morning. I don't know that, uh, I think the only place I've ever heard Spirit in the Sky, by the way, Chris rewrote the lyrics so it sounds more Christian. Um, I think the only place I've ever heard it is at, uh, in a, yeah, it's the only worship service I think I've ever heard Spirit in the Sky. Isn't that a Vietnam era song, if I remember right? Um, so uh, Jen will do this in a little while, but, um, and you don't need to stand right now, she'll have you do that later, but those of you who have served in our armed forces, thank you. Um, it, Veterans Day is one of those days. It, it lands on a Saturday, and um, it's the Memorial Day, we all get a holiday. Uh, Labor Day, we all get a holiday. All the other holidays that come up, but Veterans Day, it seems like that should be a day that, that, that we recognize uh, across, the, across the country, and I don't, think we, I don't think we give it the justice it, we don't give it the attention it deserves. So um, to all of you who served, thank you. To all of you who um, waited at home, and worked extra while someone served, thank you. Um, I don't think we really understand any longer just how much of a sacrifice that is for the families as well. So um, we're gonna, we've got one more week after today in the book of Habakkuk. And uh, the good thing about the passage today is that, you know, the last two weeks we've been talking about chapter 1 and chapter 2, and those were those are hard passages. They're, they're just, they're, they're not all that uplifting um, because God is saying to Habakkuk, I'm going to judge, I'm going to judge my people um, because he wants to bring them back to him. And he's going to use a really evil empire, uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon to judge them. And Habakkuk is crying out to God saying, why, why do you let your people act like this? And God goes, oh, I see it. And it's going to get worse. And then Habakkuk gets that answer and he goes, God, no, come on, really? You're going to let the worst people judge the better people? And God goes, yep. And there's more to it than that. Uh, but this is when Habakkuk kind of changes from, from grieving and from pleading to remembering. He remembers what, who God has been what God has done. Now, he does it in a poetic way. It's very much like a psalm, and we'll explain a little bit to you about, about if, you, if you were going to read this like they presented it, I'm going to kind of tell you how to do that, because there's a refrain or a chorus, and then there's the, the announcement of a verse, and then you read the, the uh, then you sing the chorus, and then you, then you sing the verse, then there's an announcement of a verse, you, you read the, or you sing the chorus, and then you sing the verse. Um, now, we don't, we don't typically sing Habakkuk 3, um, but there's some really, there's just something beautiful about what he does here, how God moves him in his time alone with God to go from grief, from the isolation and bargaining to the anger, uh, and then he moves him toward acceptance. Now, Doug gets to bring it home next week with the last part of chapter 3, but we're going to be in the first 15 verses today. I'm going to offer a prayer, then we'll read it. And then I, we're going to kind of go back to it, and I'll, I'm not going to pick it apart like, a, like, like something's wrong with it, but just go back and let you know what all these references refer to so that you and I, we, can, can see that Habakkuk is remembering the things that God has done, and there's an encouragement to us in the world that we live in and where we think it might be going to remember who God has been, what God has done, and that, that God, he doesn't change. Um, so there is hope even when it looks hopeless. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the talented musicians that we have um, in this church, but especially in this, 
in this service. We thank you that you know the, all, almost all the songs we sing, um, Chris Hansen arranges. He's just he rewrites lyrics when they're when it's appropriate, and uh, we just thank you for their gifts, their talents, and their willingness to use it in the worship and uh, praise of you. Lord, as we hear from Habakkuk today, um, we want to hear also from you. I know that you spoke to Habakkuk, you gave him this, these new attitudes, but we ask for you to give us hope as you gave hope to him. So, Lord, I, don't, I do not want this to be my message for them. I want it to be your message for us. So stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, speak with my mouth, so that we hear what you want us to hear, we see what you want us to see, and we receive only what you want us to receive. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So Habakkuk chapter 3, first 15 verses, it starts off like this. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on, and I am not even going to try to pronounce that word. And he says this, and I'll, I'll kind of, when I'm reading this, I'm not going to read it the way they did it, but I'm going to just explain it to you. Lord, I have heard, this is the chorus. This is the thing they say over and over and over again when they're singing this psalm or this prayer. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman the Holy One from Mount Paran. And then you see that word, Selah. So the verse is announced. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. And then you're supposed to go back and sing the chorus. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I, I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then he goes on to describe what he was talking about, about Taman and, and Paran. And I don't know if I'm saying those correctly or not, but his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hands, talking about lightning there, uh, where, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry at the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You covered your bow. You called forth many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and, and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your, of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth, and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one, meaning Israel, not often we associate the anointed one with Jesus. Um, and he is the anointed one, but he's the, the, the prophet here is speaking of Israel when he says you, you, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. And then again, every time you see Selah, you go back to that chorus. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched uh, about to devour the wretched, 
who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waves. Now, there's a lot, there's a lot of poetic terminology and even, even, even allusions there. But he is going back to remember all the things God has done. When we as readers um, in, in the modern West, we, we hear of, of uh, Taman and Paran, like, huh? Well, Taman is in southern Palestine. So, it, oh, by the way, I made a mistake last week. I misspoke, and I want to make sure I clear that up. Um, I, I said that the kingdom of Judah was Bethlehem or Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and then the Golan Heights area. I spoke that incorrectly. I meant, and I don't know why I get these mixed up, but I did even when I was in Israel, the West Bank of the Jordan River, so what you would call the West Bank. I said Golan Heights. That's way north. Uh, it's the, the West Bank. So right here, Taman, we're talking about southern Palestine just before the Sinai Peninsula or just north of the Sinai. And then Paran, the mountains of Paran, are in the Sinai Peninsula. That's the place of, um, that's the mountain range where we would find... Where, where Moses got the law. This is the place, and the reason that Habakkuk is bringing it up, this is the place where God began that, that area, that Negev, the desert, that, that region was where God started forming a people. After he brought them out of Egypt, after he, he brought the, um, the sea over Pharaoh's army, and he brought them in, and, and Moses went up on the mountain, and he got the law of God and came down, and then he, the people had kind of turned already away from God. That's another one of those cycle of apostasy where they're faithful, and they love what God is doing, but then when, they, when they're left to their own devices, they become what humans are, and that is idol factories. We have a way of turning just about anything into what we give our devotion to. Instead of to God, we do it to something either that we've created or something that we, that we say created us, but it, we don't give the attention to God that he deserves. The place that God began to act in mighty ways to lead, protect, judge, and shape his people, that's Paran and Taman. And then if you, if, you, if you read through this and you, and, and you study the allusions that God gives here, or that, that Habakkuk gives here, you'll see that he's, he's drawing the auditory memory of the people. When this song is sung, just like if, if you served in Vietnam and you hear Spirit in the Sky, you're back to a place. These people, the, the Jewish people, remember the things that God has done, but when, it's, when it looks ugly, when it's tough, when it looks like, oh my, God's going to judge us. They, they, they tend to not, we, as, as human beings, we tend to do this. We tend to not remember who God has been. We only look ahead and ask God to do what we want him to do instead of ask him to do what's best for us. So you'll see in, in all of the, the, like the seas and the, and the mountains tremble and all those kind of things, he's, he's alluding to Exodus 14 and 15, where God used a cloud, fire, darkness, and a sea to deliver them. He used an earthquake at Jericho when they crossed into the promised land. In Judges 5, God used torrential rains. In 1 Samuel 7, he used a thunderstorm to rout the enemy. David consolidated power under the Philistines in 2 Samuel chapter 5 with Yahweh's direction and a wind. Uh, again, some of those allusions there, with a wind in the balsam trees. And in 2 Kings chapter eight, chapters 18 and 19, God used a plague that defeated the Assyrian army and that surely would have taken the city of Jerusalem if God had not intervened. 
We're told that his glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. Habakkuk is remembering who God is by remembering what God has done. In 2 Kings chapter, chapter 19, verses 35 and 36, a plague went out before and then and then fought, was followed by a pestilence, a fever. You'll see those things in this particular passage. And then we, we also know that, that God uses, that his prophets use language that sounds like, like when it says here that the, the hills, the ancient mountains crumbled, um, did they? Well, there were rock slides, there were earthquakes, things fell down, there were avalanches. But what Habakkuk is saying here is that, is that God brought down the pagan gods that even Israel worshipped. You know, we've talked about Baal and Molech and Ishtar, which sometimes she was, I've got to make sure I get her, her I don't want to get her name right, I don't think she's real, but um, Ashtoreth. If you hear Ashtoreth, you hear Ishtar, and you hear and, 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 uh, Ash, Ash, Asherah poles or something like that, um, all talking about the same goddess. That's the one who confuses sexuality and turns men into women and women into men. Um, those age-old hills that are spoken of here were known as the domain of the Baals, the Moleks, and the Ishtars. They, in every village that worshipped one of these pagan gods or all of these pagan gods, they had, they, they'd find the highest place in the village and they would put up temples and idols to them. So when, when people are, are seeking non-god gods to give them riches, and fertility, both of the earth and personally, they would, they would, they would worship these things on a hill. And they would also have, have them in their homes. Habakkuk follows that description of these age-old hills crumbling. And if you notice when you read it, it talks about these age-old hills crumble, meaning that all these, these idols. And if you think back to when we talked about in the first week with Josiah, that king, one of the things when he became king at 18 or at 8, and then at 16, he found himself in the temple. Uh, or, yeah, it, it, and, and then they started tearing, at, tearing down all these or Ashtaroth poles and Ishtar poles and Baal and Molech, the, all, all these things. And he got into the temple at 26, I believe, and he found an ancient scroll describing the law of God. Um, that king who was faithful went out and tore down all of these false gods, all of these, these idols. That's what Habakkuk is referring to here. And that, notice that what he says, these, these ancient, these age-old hills, there's a counterpoint in verse 6. Habakkuk says, speaking of God, his ways are eternal. So there's false worship of things that we either create ourselves or they're demonic. Either way, there's the false, there's the false gods that we want to control to give us what we want. And then there's the God who asks us to give him what he deserves. And that is praise Worship, devotion, obedience, and glory. Now, there's more. We could talk about how God rescued Deborah in Judges. We could talk about um, some passages in Isaiah. We could talk about the, the stopping of the Jordan River. We can talk about the flooding of the Wadis. And we can talk about the Red Sea and all of that. We could go back and we could go in detail. 
most of those stories, maybe not the Deborah story, but most of those stories we know. And the people of God who were about to be judged by the people of Babylon, the people of God who were about to go into exile for 70 years, the people of God that, that, that Habakkuk for weeks or months was crying out to God saying, please don't do this. He's bargaining with God. He's complaining to God. Those people had decided that the things of earth are more important than the things of God. They had decided for about as long as this country's been in existence, they had decided because things were so good for them, they had decided that we don't need the sovereignty of God. We don't need the protection of, of the God. We don't, we don't need to be worshiping the God who created all things. We're going we're gonna to worship gods that give us what we want, even though they require of us to murder our children, even though they require of us to, to, to change our own uh, identity as people of God, as children of God, as men and women of God, um, we're going to decide instead to, to bend our will and bend our knee to things that we kind of created. If you remember back in Habakkuk, where, you know, who, what a fool it is to stand, uh, a fool would be someone who stands in front of something that he created and said, you breathe, you speak, you rule. But it is our nature. And folks, if I'm, if I'm perfectly honest, and, and look, it is Veterans Day, or it's the weekend of Veterans Day, and, and I'm as patriotic as they come. My wife can attest to that. I bleed red, white, and blue. But sometimes I think that I am more concerned about being American than I'm about being Christian. If I'm Christian first, America can follow. But if I'm American first, then I change who Christ is to fit my politics. And I'm going to tell you, as one of your pastors, as the person that God from eternity past chose to speak to you today, we need to be very careful that we don't turn something of man into that of God. If we if we think of things that are good and we make them the thing, the greatest good, they will own us. When we turn something else into a God, it demands our obedience. But if we turn our sights to the God, the greatest good, the unchangeable one, then all other things start to, start to work themselves out. We talked a couple of weeks ago about when, when we create things, when we, when we decide that, 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 that we've got this figured out and that we can, we can come up with solutions to make things better, it doesn't make them better. Only God can make things better. You've heard Pastor Doug say, this is about a year ago, and it still frustrates me that he came up with it and not me. He's a very bright guy. He says that, you know, we, we think that as the church that we're supposed to make the world a better place. And that's a, good, that's, that's a good, it's not the greatest good, but it's a good. But God's call is that we are the better place, that we are the light on the hill, that we are the, 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 the shining example of who God is and that other people will look to the body of Christ, to the church, to his bride and say something's different about them. 
But if we're trying to fix the world, we don't become the world fixers. If we try, our, if, if, we, if we work hard to, to work hard, if we, if we try to just be, to, to get everyone else to behave the way we do, we're asking them to be like us instead of to be like God. And if we actually are going to be people that are like God, we need to remember who God has been. We need to remember what God has done. We need to look back even in the history of this country and look at how God has intervened in history, how he has allowed us to become something that none of us deserve to become. We, the, we are the great superpower of the world. There are others, but we, we're the ones everybody fears. And if we're weak, other people or other countries decide, well, we can take advantage of, of that weakness. But God is the one. He either blesses or he curses. He either multiplies and, we, and, and, and gives us sustenance or he allows us to reap what we sow. So as Christians, let's be Christians. And remember that Christianity is not about Christians, it's about Christ. And look, I get it. If, you, if right now you're like, man, I don't know if he's, I don't know. does he not love our country? I do. This country has brought more people out of poverty and what we've um, exported to the world, the idea of democracy, has, has done more good for more people than any other civilization in the history of humanity. It is unthinkable how God has blessed us and how our devotion to him as a whole, or at least our uh, uh, acknowledging him as a whole, has, has, has shown us what God wants to give humanity. But when we start thinking we've done it, when we start thinking we deserve it, when we start thinking we're in charge, woe to us. Now, we can't change how every Christian thinks. We can't change how every Christian behaves. We can't even change how every Christian believes. But we can decide this day whom we serve. We can either serve the God of civics we can serve the God of politics. We can serve the God of wokeism or based. We can serve these other gods, and some of them are good, but they're not the good. They're not God. They're not holy. They're not unchangeable. We have to remember constantly, perpetually, always, never, never relenting on, Lord, point me to you. Lord, I want to be your servant. I don't want you to serve me. I'll give you an example I used in a wedding yesterday. Um, you ever find it curious that men at their weddings are dressed very much like they're dressed at their funerals? <laughs> I mean, women are all, they're in white and they're beautiful and the attention's all on them and the guy standing up there in a nice suit, he's going to die. And that's a good thing. 
Think about, it. Think about it. What God calls a man to do is to leave his mother and his father and be cleaved to his wife. God calls a man to love his wife the way Christ loved the church. God calls a man to serve, not to be served. He calls a man to, to give up instead of get. He calls a man, a husband, to represent Christ in the most covenantal, the, most, the, the, the relationship on the planet that matters the most, the relationship on the planet that looks the most like Christ in his church. Paul could have used any institution to, 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 to show us the relationship between the bridegroom and the bride. He could have used a court system. He could have used economics. He could have used just about anything, but he chose bridegroom and bride. So that when a man is marrying a woman and he makes vows and he says, I will love you and honor you and share with you all that is to come instead of it being mine that I earned and I get to keep it and you have your own stuff, I have my stuff over here. He says, all that is to come for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and health, through laughter and tears, I will be faithful to you as long as my life shall last. That is what Christ says to us. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. So how are we as the bride supposed to behave toward our bridegroom? Honor him as the head. Respect him. Submit to him. Love him. How are we doing? Do we remember what God has done, not only in the world, but in our own lives? When you get frustrated or you get bad news, you get, you, you're fatigued because of, of a blood disorder, your heart's not working the way it should, you just came, you, you, you just had a stroke and you're, and you're recovering from it, whatever it may be, if you're in chronic pain, if, you, if, if things aren't going the way that we all want them to go, we cry out to God and we go, God, please fix this. Please intervene. That is what Habakkuk says. Remember when he says, in your wrath, remember mercy. But when we're in a spot like that, we can become hopeless. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Has he not intervened in your life before? Has he not shown his grace and mercy to you by giving you a spouse that shows you what grace and mercy are? Has he not blessed you with children? Has he not provided for you? Because it tells us in the scriptures that all good things come from God. Has he not been faithful to you? When impending doom that God gave Habakkuk, he told him what's going to happen. He told him to tell the people what's going to happen. And then what does Habakkuk do? He writes a psalm for the worship of God's people. And what's the psalm? pleading with God. Nope. The only plea in this chapter three, verses one through 15 is in your wrath, remember mercy. But what does he do? He tells them to remember what God has done, who God is, because God is the same yesterday, today, and will be the same tomorrow. So folks, we're walking into an election year. I don't know if you know that. Doesn't seem contentious at all. And we're going to get spun up. Some of you will get spun up that I don't talk enough about it from the front. And I'm not going to. Because that's tier two. My job is to point us to tier one. My job is to give glory to God. And you know what? It's your job too. And I'm not, I'm not angry. I hope I don't come off that way. But when you look at impending doom, God's call through the prophet Habakkuk, 
is for you to remember. Remember who God is. Remember all the things he's done. The fact that he can use nature to bring judgment. He can use kingdoms too. But think about it. The people of Israel, who didn't know they were Israel yet, were stuck in Pharaoh's armies coming to kill them. And God says, trust me. And at just the right time, <laughs> I just can't even fathom this, he split a sea so that his people could walk across on dry land. After wandering around the desert for 40 years, they come to Jericho, and it is scary. They are fortified, they are big, and God tells them to do the most ridiculous thing any military, most ridiculous military thing they could do. Be predictable, show how much you have people, and wear yourself out. Show everyone your weapons, be exhausted, so walk around the city one time a day for seven days. On the seventh day, walk around seven times. And then yell, you'll win. God uses the unexpected people to do impossible things in seemingly ridiculous ways. And we are those people. What is God going to do with these, this unexpected people? How are we going to do impossible things? We don't. God does. And they might look ridiculous. But what God's call to us is always remember. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. And remember whose you are. So people of God, bride of Christ, body of Christ, hope for the world. I ask you this. Will you trust God even when it looks like he's not trustworthy? If he's been trustworthy, he is trustworthy, and he will be trustworthy tomorrow. Let's pray. Almighty God, last week we, we poked at the spirit of our age, and today, through your prophet, you remind us to trust the one who's trustworthy instead of all the things that we tend to think we have control over. Lord, call us back to seeking you, the holy, ineffable, immutable, unchanging God. Remind us that you don't demand, but you do ask us to submit our will to you as your son did in the garden. Not my will be done, but yours. Help us be people like your son who say, believe, and live. Your will be done, Lord, on earth just as it is, just as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name, for your sake, and for your glory. Amen.